Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Matthew 5, verse 5, as well as 2 Samuel 16. Matthew 5, 5, and 2 Samuel 16. Will you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father God, as we look at the third beatitude, we ask that these are the attitudes that we would put into our lives, or if for many here, attitudes that they've already well put in, help us to grow in these attitudes. Father, we so want not to be hearers of the word only, but truly to be doers as well. So we ask that you would take your inspired and errant word and rightly apply it to us. Father, we also want to remember those who have suffered a great deal. We think of the tragedy in Las Vegas and 60 families that will forever be changed and 500 who have been injured, families again who have been traumatized, a nation that has been traumatized. We pray for the medical caregivers and the first responders and the victims. We ask for a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for those who, again, are in the harm's way of maybe a a level two, a stage two storm. We ask, Father, for your hand of protection. And Father, we pray for those who lead our country and our world, that there might be civility and wisdom and self-restraint. Father, we also want to remember Dan and Grace Esterline and Mark Voss as they minister with our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. And we ask, Father, that you would maximize their efforts and use them mightily for your kingdom, and that our brothers and sisters in that country would be encouraged and that the gospel would go forth with power. And may that be true in our country as well. Guide us, we ask, O Lord. Amen. Shallow Jeff. I'm about to be very, very shallow. I'm just going to tell you right up front. It's better that I let you know than you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm embarrassed because Jeff is shallow. So I'm just going to tell you, shallow Jeff. There are times when shallow Jeff hears a song and he says, man, I don't like all the words. We just sang one. I picked it. I like most of the words, but I got to tell you, I'm not really excited about it. I run into his arms. I run into his arms. Somehow those are not the words I would choose. I get the sentiment Maybe I wish it were true in my life, but those are not the words I, Jeff, shallow Jeff, would choose. Fall before the Lord in worship, yes. Catch a glimpse of his holiness and be stunned by it, absolutely. 
or if I had the opportunity to spend some time with Jesus in a friendship relationship, him being master, me being servant, I might say, what's up? But run into his arms, that just is not vocabulary that I would use. Maybe go to the range and pop off a few with Jesus. I love that. <laughs> or, or maybe go hiking or go to the links and hit the ball or kick or throw the pigskin. I'm all for that. Be with Jesus when the cowboys go down today. I'd love that. But the idea of running into his arms just is not language that I would choose to use. And, and when I sing it, I love the rest of the song, but when I sing it, I got to admit that I get a little quiet at that point. And I kind of let you all sing, and I think, man, I'm shallow. But it's not just the songs. Every so often, there's a verse in Scripture that I know is inspired, I don't doubt it. I know is inerrant, I don't doubt it. I know it is profitable for my life, I don't doubt that. But I get a little confused on what is being said in the text. And after I learn what is being said, I, I always am excited about it. But at first glance, the words aren't ones that I expect in the text. That's true today. The third beatitude uses language that when I understand it, I'm excited about it. But prior to understanding the language, it's, it's language I didn't expect. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It just doesn't seem right. Meek kind of sounds weak, and we'll get to that. There's passages I, I love reading. I love Joshua and the conquest. That's my kind of language. I love in Judges 7 when Gideon, with only 300 men and God, take out 120,000 Midianites. I love that language. I love 1 Kings 18 when Elijah is up on Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal challenge God, and they have a barbecue. Men like barbecues. And they have this great barbecue, and Elijah wins, and he takes out the 450 prophets of Baal that have led the nation into idolatry. I love those kind of accounts. But when I read, blessed are the meek, I struggle just a bit. I suppose it's because I hear the word meek and I think it's the word weak. The two kind of rhyme together. And let's be honest. What young boy or young girl grows up and says, when I get older, I want to be meek weak. We don't say that, do we? I mean, I just think of boys because I can relate better. Young boys, they grow up and they say, when I get older, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a senior pastor. I want to be a football player. Something exciting, something powerful. That's what we say. But we don't grow up and say, when I get older, I want to be meek. Again, it sounds like weak. 
but it's not. It's prius. It means strength of control. It means having strength in your life and controlling your life. I like those words. I like strength. I like control. These are words I can relate to. That's what the biblical word prius, meek, means. If we lived 2,000 years ago, we would use meek very differently. What do we say today? You're as meek as a mouse. Who wants to be a mouse? Nobody wants to be a mouse. They didn't use the language meek as a mouse. They said you're as meek as a lion. I like that. If you're a female and you're a lioness, you're a leader, you're strong, you're powerful, you're sleek. If you're a male and you're a lion, you got a full mane and you can roar. I like the idea of being meek as a lion. It's, it's strength under control. In the Peloponnesian Wars, that's the wars in the Greek area, in the Greek Isles. We have Athens against the Peloponnesian League, including the Spartans. And in the 5th century B.C., coming out of the Peloponnesian Wars, one man begins to brag about his horse. And he says, it's meek. It's the most powerful, strong, fastest, fleetest, most brave horse in the entire wars. That's how they use the word prius. It means strength under control. Blessed are the meek, the strong, who are in control. They shall inherit the earth. Now that's a beatitude I need in my life. You see, sometimes I read the text in English and, and I misunderstand it. The third beatitude is like that. God isn't talking about being wimpy. He's not talking about being weak. He's not talking about being a Casper Milktoast. He's talking about strength that is under control. As I think about meekness, I want to illustrate it out of 2 Samuel. Last week I beat up on David. And we looked at Psalm 51, which was David's repentance, his confession, and the moving towards a changed life, repentance. It's a powerful passage. Today we're going to also talk about David, but not in one of his low moments, but in one of his high. David, before he was king, was a commoner. David was blue collar before there was blue collar. David was a rough and tumble. David didn't have manicured nails. David was an individual that you might go and, and throw the pigskin with. He was a guy you'd go on a hike with. He's a guy you'd go on a hunt with. He's a guy that you'd spend time with doing something rough and tumble. He was that kind of man. He was also that kind of young man or boy. You remember what the scripture says of David in his youth. It says he killed the bears and lions, plural, and he killed him with his own hands. 
He didn't have a 308. He wasn't a coward on the 32nd floor shooting down at innocents with automated weapons. He was a man of bravery and he killed the bears and the lions with his own hands. The text tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that he killed the giant, hit him between the headlights and took him out. And if you're a male over six foot three, I want to just tell you you're an ugly giant. And David took one like you out. David was a rough and tumble. You remember that he killed the bears, he killed the lions, he killed Goliath. And then there's a barroom tune about David. You remember how it goes. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands in 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 29. That's what David was like. He was a rough and tumble. He was a a tough guy. And eventually David grew up and, and he took the throne. He became king. Let me give us the background of 2 Samuel 16. David has been king for a while. He does kingly things. He lives in Jerusalem. But his son Absalom is a traitor. His son Absalom sits at the city gates. His son Absalom, whenever someone would go and get bad news from David, when they're leaving the city, Absalom would say, oh, did my father do that to you? Hey, let me cut that debt in half. Let me give you some money from the treasury. Let me give you some advice. Let me tell you how to circumvent my dear dad, who's just a criminal. And that's the way Absalom lived. He undermined David. He backstabbed his own father. And eventually Absalom had an opportunity and he took it. And he usurped the throne of his own father. And David is fleeing for his life. He's left the old city of Jerusalem where the ancient gate still exists, some of it, surrounding 2,400 people. That's how many people live in the old city today. In Jerusalem, 750,000. In the old city, only 2,400. You know it's a small section. And David has left the old city. He's going east. He's outside the city. He's fleeing for his life. He's on the road with his secret service detail. 37 men, the baddest warriors in the 10th century B.C. They're with David and they're, they're walking on a path like the one cut in the middle. And on either side there are tall berms. It's natural. It's how the path is cut between berms that are six to ten feet tall on either side. And they're walking in the path. And as they walk and they talk and, and suddenly they, they get a little dirt on their shoulder. And a little bit more and, and some dirt on their head and, and some rock is coming down and and suddenly they realize there's a torrent of dirt and rock coming down on top of them. And they look up and there's Shammai. And he's kicking dirt and he's kicking rocks all over them as they walk below. And you're David. You're the king. You have 37 of the baddest individuals in the 10th century with you. And there's Shammai kicking dirt on you. And Shammai begins to mock David. 
Let me read to us from 2 Samuel 16, verses 7 and 8. And Shammai said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. You see, Shammai is a distant relative of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Two verses, that's all we got, and three lies, plus insults. He calls David a man of blood. It's not true at this point in David's life. He says that David has stolen King Saul's throne. Not true. God anointed David through Samuel. He didn't steal the throne. God gave it to him. And he said, God has given the throne Absalom away from you, David. Not true. Absalom usurped the throne from David. Three lies, many insults, kicking dirt and rock on top of David and 37 of the mighty men. The secret service, the baddest of the bad. And let's remember who David is. He's king. He's killed the lions. He's killed the bears with his paws. He's killed Goliath. There's a barroom song. Saul has killed his thousands. David has tens of thousands. And he's got the 37 baddest individuals with him. You've heard of suicide by cop, right? It's a horrible thing. Suicide by cop is when an individual has a desire for death and threatens a police officer in such a way that the officer needs to retaliate to protect her or himself and ends up killing the individual because the individual wants to be killed. It's a horrible thing. Suicide by cop. That's what's going on here. You don't poke the bear. You don't poke 38 bears who are killing machines. And we're not talking about the toothless wonders that play in Soldier Field. We're talking about 38 serious bears. You don't poke the bear. This is suicide by warrior. That's what's going on here. Indeed, let me read what one of David's bodyguards says, verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. All right, that's a little overkill. Let me go off and lop off his melon. That, that might be a little bit much. But we can understand that Abishai, who's also suffering from dirt and rocks being thrown on him, also suffering from being thrown out of the palace and is on the lamb, on the run, we can understand why he says, you know what, I've had enough. Let me go teach Shammai a lesson. Let me make him dance. Let me make him sing on his knees. Let's give him a taste of medicine. Let's throw a little dirt and, and rock on him. We could understand that. But David says, no. Remember, it's been a bad day. This is not David's best day. What would you have done? What about me? It's been a bad 
bad day. David's own son has usurped the throne. David's own son is driving him from the throne. David's own son is trying to kill David. You've lost your son. You've lost the throne. You're on the lamb. You're running for your life. And now this distant relative of your predecessor is kicking rocks and dirt on top of you. He's insulting you. He's lying about you. It's been a bad day. And you're commanding 37 of the baddest warriors in the 10th century. What would you, what would I have done? What did David do? David responds with these words, verses 10 and 11. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? In other words, David's saying, I don't know why he's cursing me. Is it even possible that God told him to do so? Well, we know it's not possible. He's lying in the midst of it. But David's not going to take chances. He says, you know what? I am going to do nothing just out of the chance that this man is doing the Lord's work. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone? Let him curse, for perhaps the Lord has told him to. That's meekness. That's strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Weakness at this point might have been, go get him, Abishai. Weakness at this point might have been revenge. It might have been retaliation. Weakness at this point might have been David sending overkill some of these individuals. But he doesn't. And understand who Abishai is. The scriptures tell us that in one battle alone, this man killed 300 opponents by himself. And he's only the number four man in David's mighty men. So he has a track record of taking on 300 by himself, and he's only number four. Can David handle Shammai? Can David have Shammai handled? Absolutely. But out of the possibility that Shammai is doing the Lord's work and out of the probability that God calls David to keep his strength under control, David says, hands off. We will not do anything. That is meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He gives incredible grace. He he gives incredible freedom. He says, we will not go after him. I want us to fast forward. David has regained the throne. David is now back in Jerusalem. He's got his palace. Tragically, his son Absalom is dead, so David is grieving. Again, it's a difficult time in his life. And David comes across Shammai again. I wonder what's going to happen. Let me pick up in verses 18 to 23. 
starting partway through 18. It says this. If I can find it. Well, I'm going to read it from here. And Shammai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered him, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this, because he has cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? That is, I don't need to prove myself God's given me the throne. We're going to show forgiveness. We're going to show grace. And the king said to Shammai, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. It's one thing to forgive the first time around. It's another when you come across him. You're back on your throne. You have the palace. Perhaps people have heard through your mighty men what Shammai has done. Rumors have gotten out. Maybe people are saying you're soft. Maybe people are saying you're weak. You have another chance at Shammai. At least make the guy apologize. At least make the guy get on his knees and ask for forgiveness. But David says, no. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I think if that's meekness, Control, self-control, strength, incredible strength in the midst of opportunity. If that's what biblical meekness is, I need it. I want it. How do I get it? Well, the Bible's not formulaic. It doesn't give us step one, two, three, four, and then you and I are meek. But it does offer some suggestions. I think the first step in order for you and I to be meek, and some of you already are, praise the Lord, but even to grow in our meekness, I think the first step is for you to understand who we are in relation to who God is. You see, David could look back on his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and he could think to himself, what has God done for me? How has God forgiven me? What's the the depth and breadth of my sin? And yet God has given me grace. God has given me mercy. God has given me forgiveness. And if God has done that to me, how ought I to respond to others? I think the first step in becoming a woman, a man, a young person of meekness is for us on a daily basis to preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind ourselves of the depth of our sin and the breadth of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And I'm not talking only about the sins that we know of one another. Maybe some of those secret sins, some of those sins that we would be so ashamed if anyone knew about. And yet God gives us that kind of grace, 
that kind of forgiveness, that kind of mercy when we come to him and we confess and in the power of his spirit we turn and repent from our sin. God cleanses us as far as the east is from the west. And when I remember the depth of my sin and the even greater depth of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, when I remember that, I internalize that and I focus on that, it becomes easier to extend grace, mercy, forgiveness, meekness, keeping my strength under control, even in the midst of somebody wronging me. The second thing I want to remind myself of is this. There is a degree to which the level that I extend forgiveness to others is the extent of God's forgiveness towards me. I'm not talking about eternal life forgiveness. That's an act of grace through Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, rising again, and we accept his death is a payment of our sin. His resurrection is the first fruits of our future resurrection as we believe in Christ for Savior and Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about day-to-day -day sinning that we forgive others as we expect God to forgive us. What's part of the Lord's prayer? Forgive us our debts as we Forgive those who sin against us. Have we ever considered what we're asking God in the Lord's Prayer? It's a terrifying thing to say. God, forgive me today to the same degree that I will extend forgiveness to somebody else. That's what we're saying. Let me read a couple more verses from the same chapter, Matthew 6. That was verse 12. Let me read verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others when they wrong you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when they wrong you, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so part of the Lord's prayer and what follows it is that we're asking God to forgive us to the extent that we forgive others. I want to remember that. Again, we're not talking about eternal forgiveness for eternal life. That's an act of the Lord. We're talking about the day-to-day -day forgiveness, <coughs> knowing Christ, but we still sin. Remember, Scripture says if we say that we have no sin, we're liars and the truth is not in us. So we need to keep short accounts with God and the Lord says, to the degree in which I extend forgiveness to others, that's the degree in which he's going to extend day-to-day -day forgiveness to me. I need to keep short accounts with the Lord. I want to be walking in his good grace and his good pleasure. And so I need to extend grace and mercy, forgiveness. I need to keep my strength under control. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Finally, I think part of forgiveness, part of being meek, is to extend forgiveness verbally to someone else. I wonder at this moment who God might be putting on your mind or on my mind. Somebody that we don't really want to forgive. We say, forget that. They've embarrassed me. They've taken me to the cleaners. They played me for the fool. They've shamed me, they've humiliated me, they destroyed my dreams.
Forgive them? I don't think so. And extend verbal forgiveness? Uh, it's not going to happen. And yet the beatitude, the third one that God wants in my life is meekness to keep my strength under control, to show mercy, to show grace, to show forgiveness. It is an act of worship to God for me to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness to someone else. And I don't know about you, but when somebody has really wronged me, I mean really hurt me, Sometimes I need to forgive them more than once. I can forgive them in my heart. I can pray forgiveness for them. I can even say, I forgive you. And then sometime down the road, it's brought back up. Or there's a situation like it. And I have an Abishai moment and I want to lop off their melon. I mean, the hatred just returns, you know? And the anger just returns. And I've got to do it again. And I've got to do it again. And I've got to do it again. Because the extent that I will forgive somebody else, if I pray the Lord's Prayer, is the extent day to day that I'm asking God to forgive me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I take the earth to be the new heaven and the new earth. We're not talking about earning salvation. We're talking about the extra rewards that God gives the most faithful in the life to come. And those rewards come to those who keep their strength under control, the control of God for His glory, extend grace, forgiveness, mercy. As we have received it, so we are to give it to others. That's the third beatitude. So I started out being shallow Jeff. Probably still there. But I have a new understanding of meek. It doesn't mean weak. It means keep the strength under control, God's control, for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for the Beatitudes. And I thank you, Father, that when I understand them just a little bit more, they become so crystal clear as to why I need them. Father, thank you for your word that is never wrong, that is always right, always perfect, and so necessary in my life. I don't want to be a hearer only, but a doer as well. Take your word and apply it to my life and my brothers and sisters in the Lord's lives. And Father, if there are individuals or an individual that we need to forgive, help us to do so, to keep the strength under control, to be strong in the spirit of you, our Lord. Help us to be blessed by you as we exhibit meekness more and more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.